0: Ask a Wayfinder, an advice and mindfulness podcast for all those who are seeking, those who are stuck, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Dana Wheelis, a meditation teacher and life coach in Central Virginia. Usually we start our episodes with one letter from a listener, which serves as the focus for the conversation, and then I offer a meditation as guidance and support to all those who resonate with that issue. This one's going to go a little differently. Back when I recorded episode three, answering a letter from someone dealing with the feeling of being overscheduled and overwhelmed, I realized that I hadn't touched on an essential part of the issue. How to say no. I mean, the exercise I led us through to survey your obligations and your commitments and to sense into how to prioritize your day is important. It's one of the activities I use most often with my clients. But once you do that, you realize that something, at least one thing, has to be dropped from the list. None of us can do it all, and that means all of us, at some point, have to say no to someone or something. That's when I came up with the idea of dedicating an episode to a theme. The art of saying no is what I'm calling this one. There are so many ways of saying no, and many, many ways. We fear it, we avoid it. We shame ourselves for it, and we resent it when someone says it to us. The ability to say no in a healthy way is the hallmark of a wise adult. And yet, most of us try to pretend we can dodge, to hide, we can hope for some magical outcome that will allow us to be all things to all people. It's exhausting. And so I embarked on a project to create a a taxonomy of no, a, a way of sorting the act of saying no into recognizable categories that are repeatable and understandable, even though details and situations will probably vary from person to person. I reached out to you, the Ask Away Finder community. I talked to my clients, my friends. I got great feedback. I heard stories about how workplaces are set up to prevent employees from saying no, from pushing back on toxic or dysfunctional practices, I heard from both teachers and students about how no is essential to building trust and relationship, but can also jeopardize the establishment of one of those relationships when it's done from a reactive or a defensive place. But in the course of this research, the theme that kept arising for me over and over again was how we deal with our families. These foundational relationships are the attachments that taught us how to navigate the world, Whether in secure or insecure ways. These are the people whose goodwill and love feel most crucial to our surviving and our thriving. Saying no to family members, to family structures, this can be the hardest thing we ever do. And in that way that the world sometimes throws us deep into the heart of issues we're exploring. I found myself grappling with my own need to say no and how to use all my tools and experience to guide myself through the crucible of my own family. This episode will focus on families and how and why our no can be lost in the labyrinth of familial duties. We'll talk about how to stay true to ourselves and kind to others and how to discern the most important no's from all the rest. And this time I'm coming at it from a pretty personal perspective. So one thing to keep in mind is that all of us went through a phase when we were toddlers, a developmental stage where we established um, ourselves as different from our parents. We said no a lot. We said no to ridiculous things. We said no to important things. Healthy parents can allow that no. Um, They can stay grounded through whatever tantrum arises And they allow the child a secure place from which to explore their own individuality. But sometimes the caregiver is overwhelmed, especially by this phase, and they can't stay grounded. Perhaps they are living from a set of rules about what parenting should look like or how children should behave. Maybe they are triggered from their own childhood experiences The child is not allowed to have their no, and they're taught to suppress their own sense of self to be more pleasing and, frankly, more safe in the eyes of their caregivers. This leads to patterns of what we call insecure attachment. There's anxious attachment, in which the child exhibits needy behavior but can never be truly soothed, or an avoidant attachment, in which the child learns to detach from the caregiver And chooses to avoid the vulnerability of having needs. There's also another less discussed compensation pattern that can be the result of developmental trauma, which is something that I work with a lot um, in my, my practice, and that's called disorganized attachment. As a result of growing up in a home that can be completely unpredictable or with caregivers who are emotionally unstable, These children alternate between anxious behaviors, that is, clinging, neediness, grasping for attention, and avoidant behaviors, uh, that would be aloofness, independence, emotional numbness. So why am I telling you all this? Well, primarily because I find it all fascinating, and I think it's essential to understanding why people act the way they do. It's like the missing part of the human operation manual. But in the case of this episode, whether you were allowed to say no and how that no was handled when you were a kid is fundamental to your relationship with that word as an adult. It's about boundaries. People who grew up with insecure attachments struggle with boundaries. Well, to be clear, we all struggle with personal boundaries because our culture doesn't have many healthy models for setting them or maintaining them. But people whose essence was quashed as children, they really struggle with them. Those with anxious attachment styles tend to not have them or they have boundaries that are so porous that they don't really help them to stay grounded in what they want in their own lives. So think of the people pleaser who says yes to everything and complains about being run down, but just can't stop twisting themselves into pretzels to help other people. Those with avoidant attachment styles uh, tend to have boundaries that feel like solid rock. When you hit one, you know it. They pull back, they shut down, they avoid you. Think of the person who ghosts someone they've been dating for a while. Rather than deal with the vulnerability of saying no, or this is a challenge to someone they care about, they just disappear. They don't deal with their emotions. So to say no is to grapple with all of the programming of your early life, as well as the compensation patterns and issues of the people you're interacting with. No wonder it feels so treacherous. And within our families, we are facing the people who taught us how to be and how to exist in this world. This is the root of the root, folks, so there is no shame in struggling with it. A family has its own culture, Yes, informed by larger cultures, of course, such as religion and nationality. But there are rules that each member internalizes. And to say no to a family member is often to break these rules. This doesn't make all of our parents or caregivers terrible people. It just makes them human beings doing the very best they could do based on their experiences. Sometimes the result is wonderful. Sometimes the result is terrible. Most of us come from backgrounds that lie somewhere in between. But one trend I do see in my survey of family cultures uh, is an insidious trend toward transactional love. You do this for me, and I will do this for you. From the moment you are born, it feels like there is a giant ledger that follows you wherever you go, tracking all of your obligations to your family members, and marking contracts you have unwillingly and unintentionally entered into with the people closest to you. Your parents paid for college, so you must choose a major they approve of. Your Aunt Sally sent you $5 on your birthday every year when you were young, so now you feel like you have to remember her birthday or else be considered a thankless jerk. Your dad worked nights and weekends to support the family, so you are responsible for his care now that he is elderly. I'm not saying every agreement made within a family is unhealthy. I'm saying that this is what they look like, and it's up to you to look within and see how these sometimes unspoken contracts feel. I am urging you to seek the yes in every situation instead of avoiding the no. When we are making decisions that are healthy to us, we can still support our family members without following the family rules in a way that's detrimental to our well-being. So about a month ago, maybe a bit more, I was faced with the death of my mother. She and I have been estranged for many years. I've spoken to her off off and on, and each time it was clear that this was not a healthy relationship, but not one that I wanted to maintain. She also was not reaching out, so We had both agreed, I think, that this estrangement was for the best. But as she fell ill and was in the hospital in the ICU, I went through this excruciating phase where I had to decide whether I was going to go to my hometown and see her. It looked like the end. I was pretty sure it was the end. I knew there would be no deathbed reconciliation. Our estrangement, like I said, was healthy for both of us. Most of the urge to go there came from our culture at large and our ideas of what a maternal-child relationship should look like. Some of it came from feeling like I would be a bad person if I didn't at least get in the car and drive and be there. But most of all, if I'd done it, it would have been to appease others. As I sat with it and really struggled with what I should do, what became most important to me was the realization that a yes to them, a yes to the deathbed, a yes to entering back into the family dysfunction would have been a no to myself. Every part of me said, don't go there. You're going to feel terrible. You're going to get swept up in the chaos just like always. And so to have gone would have been self-abandonment. I would have paid a price, And that price was my stability, my sanity, and my ability to do work in this world. And so I didn't go. I said no. And I prayed, and I meditated, and I sent goodwill to her and everyone else down there. I reached out to my own community for help. And you know what? I heard from so many people who had found themselves in a similar situation with a parent or a grandparent or some other family member. So many of us have had to look at the realities of our family situation and make the hard choice, the one that would cause uproar and backlash from our families. We don't talk about this enough, and therefore there isn't a lot of support for people who are struggling with this. I spoke with a very wise teacher who shared with me something that's really helped in the process of processing all of these feelings, and that's the question of being responsible for someone or responsible to and when we're feeling responsible for others uh, we can be controlling of ourselves and of them we don't share our truths because we're afraid that uh, it will hurt them or that they will leave us if they knew who we really were it makes us fearful it makes us anxious it makes us worried about being right and doing right And how we're performing in the relationship. You're expecting the person to live up to certain expectations that you have. And you are expecting to live up to their expectations. But when you are responsible to other people, there's a lot more flexibility there. You're able to be more relaxed in your communications with them. Because you're speaking from your own integrity, from your own truth. You feel more aware of what you need and what you want. And when you're relating with them, you're relating to them as another person who's different from you are. You believe that if you just share your truth and yourself, the other person has enough to make it and that they're responsible for themselves and their own actions. You're just giving them the information they need to know about you. I really liked this explanation because I think I spent most of my early life feeling responsible for other people. And those of us who are in helper roles can slip into that pattern of feeling like we want to help or rescue other people. But truly the healthiest thing to do is to be responsible to them and then gather your circle of friends and family and chosen family from the people who see you for who you are and love and accept you for that. Not everyone's story looks like mine. Perhaps you love someone who doesn't fit the mold of what your family expected. Perhaps you're realizing that the person you married isn't right for you after all. Or maybe it's something small, comparatively, like you don't wanna host Thanksgiving even though you're the oldest child and that's your responsibility to the family. What I'm saying is that your no is important. And that it's hardest to say that to the people most dear to you. I'm saying that in order to say no, you must first find your yes. What is your yes? What pulls you to the path that you want to walk? What makes your body light up with happiness and excitement? Find that first. Practice small no's whenever you can. And one day you'll find that your boundary isn't something you have to construct outside of you to protect you from this world. It's the truth of who you are and everything else falls away. You are your yes. And so we turn to the meditation portion of our program where we look inside and check in with our own boundaries. We check in with the connections that we have with our own family members. And we ask ourselves, is this connection healthy? Is it supportive? Is it reciprocal? Finding a comfortable seat and closing your eyes, I want you to first send your awareness down into your heart, down to the center of your chest, just sitting
1: with whatever is right now. Letting go of the day
0: and even if you have a particular situation in mind that you're seeking clarity on, seeing if you can set that aside for a moment and just find a baseline for yourself. That baseline will be different every single day and so try not to judge if for some reason that baseline is a little more anxious today than it was yesterday. Just sitting with yourself in the heart space, tuning in with the cadence of your breath, finding a rhythm that feels comfortable to you,
1: and just getting acquainted with how it feels to be in your heart. From the heart, I want you to visualize
0: a small spark of light that grows with your attention. So as you watch it, it goes from being a pinprick to brighter and brighter.
1: As it slowly expands out from your chest,
0: covering your entire body, until you are wrapped in a sphere of the light emanating from your heart.
1: Taking notice of the color of the light, perhaps. This light is going to show you your boundaries, it's going
0: to shed light on the places where your attention is needed,
1: where there are gaps, perhaps, or there's armor. Just taking your time and sensing in to the entirety of your system, from your back to your hips, all the way down to your feet. Are there places where you feel vulnerable? Where you feel like people closest to you can pierce right through? Are there places where you've been wounded so many times that you've erected
0: quite the fortress where no one can penetrate, no one can get through, and no one can see
1: your vulnerability? Most of us have many such spots of either porousness or hardness.
0: Some of us even have spikes in places where we still carry anger
1: or frustration or resentment. That's okay. I'm going to have you pick just one.
0: And perhaps it's one that brings up a particular situation for you.
1: If not, just continue to scan. Sometimes things don't have a story. They're just there. So picking one area where you feel like your boundary could be repaired.
0: Just shining the light of your awareness upon it as the light from your heart
1: has illuminated it. And before you do anything, send it love. It's there for a reason. It's protection you needed at some point. Your survival depended upon it. One of my teachers, Martha Beck, says that
0: Things cannot change until they are allowed to be what they are. So we do not meditate just to fix ourselves or be better. Sure, we get there eventually because we're paying attention to ourselves and we're learning. But we don't go in with a mindset of alteration,
1: of judgment, or of critique. Sometimes presence is the one thing you need to heal something you've been grappling with for a very long time. Once you've gotten to know this particular boundary, this area where you are hard, or too soft. I want you to imagine that you can ask it what it needs most. How can you help? What is it trying to teach you? Sometimes there'll be a rush of information, and sometimes
0: it'll just be quiet. Just sit with the quiet. And if you're being bombarded with memories or emotions or stories, just try to let them flow right by. Imagine you can surf them. You see them for what they
1: are. You care for them deeply, but you're not going to identify with them. You're learning not diving in. After some time, especially if you feel like you've gotten some important information
0: just by sitting with this boundary, you might want to ask, is it willing
1: to be healed? Is it willing to be repaired? See what it says. Is there a place where you need to say no? Is there a place where you need to say yes? Is there grief for
0: having said yes when you meant no? and if so, just treat it very gently. Know that you were doing the best you could, and that your presence in this meditation is your
1: effort to do better.
0: You may want to visualize the light from your heart beaming into that particular spot, that one boundary that you're looking at, and just lighting it up, warming it up, repairing any holes, sanding down any rough spots, showing it the care it's asking for,
1: and the care that you deserve. Sometimes this process will go quickly
0: and sometimes it takes a while. For the purposes of this meditation, We'll go ahead and close, imagining that we are retracting the light all the way back into our heart space, knowing that it is there and available to us whenever we need it, and that we can complete this exercise over and over again each time we feel like we've hit a spot where our boundaries aren't quite what we need them to be. Life has a way of teaching us those places. And so we'll return to explore, to care for, shed light on, and to heal, always seeking to find the boundaries that are true to us and trusting that when we show ourselves and we show our boundaries, there are those out there who will love
1: us and appreciate us because we do.
0: thank you all for joining me for this slightly different episode of Ask a Wayfinder. I'm Dana Wheelis, and you can learn more about my work as a coach and a meditation teacher at my website at DeerHawkHealing.com. That's deer as in the animal, hawk as in the bird, healing.com, and it's all one word. There's also a contact form there on the website where you can submit your own question, Or you can write to me at Dana at DeerHawkHealing.com to send me questions or feedback about this week's episode, or if you'd like to work with me one-on-one. My thanks also to Teach.fm, the podcast network supported by the University of Virginia's own radio station, WTJU, for their support of this podcast. I'm happy to report that we're recording this episode of Ask a Wayfinder in the very new production studio at WTJU's New Space in Charlottesville, Virginia. Be sure to look them up at wtju.net. They do a lot of great work. Until next time, be kind to yourself, y'all. You deserve
1: it.